Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Geek Town Behind the Scenes podcast. I'm your host Dave Elliott and on this episode I'm chatting with Emmy nominated score mixer and recording engineer producer Phil McGowan. Phil has become a recognised face in the music scoring industry for specialising in recording and mixing music for films, television and video games. He's the score mixer on Netflix's Golden Globe and Emmy-nominated series Ozark, for which he received an Emmy nomination himself in 2020 for Outstanding Music Mixing, and Netflix's wonderfully fun martial arts series Cobra Kai. He also worked on HBO Max's recently released documentary feature Tina, and has mixed the music on many of the Call of Duty games, including the most recent Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. Some of McGowan's past score mixing credits include Universal Pictures' Oscar and Golden Globe nominated revenge thriller Promising Young Woman starring Kerry Mulligan and Bo Burnham History Channel's Vikings Showtime's Golden Globe nominated series The Borgias HBO's The Outsider AMC's Fear the Walking Dead and stars American Gods In the interview Phil chats about his job as a score mixer and talks through some of the specifics of some of his recent projects If you'd like to hear more behind the scenes interviews don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast by searching for Geek Town Radio This will also give you our weekly Geek Town Radio podcast which brings you all the latest TV, filming and gaming news. You can also go to the website at geektown.co.uk for daily news stories and all the latest UK and US TV premiere dates. Here's the interview with Phil McGowan. Ready to pop the question? The jewellers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Thank you for spending the time to talk through some of your stuff. Of course, yeah, my pleasure. Before we talk about any specific projects, do you want to just give a little background about yourself and how you got into score mixing in the first place? Yeah, sure. So um, I grew up in central Maine, which is the complete opposite corner of the country uh, from Los Angeles. Uh, <laughs> both my parents uh, were amateur or semi-professional keyboard players, piano and keyboard. So I grew up around music all my life. And I think I was in second grade when I first started taking piano 
lessons. And then around the same time, or a little bit later, once I got towards middle school, my dad had some keyboards. He had an old Korg M1, some Kurzweil, and like a keyboards around. And uh, he had a little mixer and some speakers to play with those. So I started kind of, you know, checking all that stuff out and messing around with that. He had this little Mackie compact mixer that I actually still have. And that was my first mixer that I ever learned. I read the whole manual inside and out, learned about all the different busing and the little oxens. It was a simple little mixer, but a great way to sort of learn signal flow and things like that. And then I started to get into more sort of doing live sound around, um, you know, whatever small little, you know, tiny events were around Maine or some other people that I started helping out. And then 2014, I think it was, um, a friend of my high school band teacher actually was upgrading his Pro Tools system to a Pro Tools HD system. And so he just gave me his uh, Audio Media 3 card is what it was called. It was <laughs> it predates the Mbox. So I actually started when I was 16 on Pro Tools with uh, Pro Tools 5 and an Audio Media 3 card. So I had a little bit of an early start kind wow. of uh, with um, music recording technology when I was in high school and stuff. Um, and around the same time, also, I, I fell in love with film music, with video game music, um, and just with film sound in general. You know, I was a DVD junkie when I was a kid. I would, I would probably watch some of the bonus features on DVDs more than I would watch the film, <laughs> just trying to get a, a window into, you know, the, the film scoring world and the sound design world and things like that. Because this was, you know, mid-2000s. There wasn't a lot of YouTube videos or things online where you could learn what sound designers do and what film composers do and things like that. Um, so that's that's kind of where I really got my inspiration. Um, I decided to look for somewhere, or summertime in high school, I decided I wanted to study formally, um, at least audio engineering, if not also I was interested in maybe being a film composer myself. So I started to, to look around for schools to do these things, and that's where I discovered Berkeley College of Music, which is where I ended up going to um, from 2006 to 2009, um, and graduated with a degree in music production and engineering. I decided to drop the film scoring degree just because I didn't want to be in school that long, and I also just realized that uh, mixing and engineering was really what I was best at, but I still loved film music. Uh, so I knew I eventually wanted to get into, I think, you know, specifically engineering for film music. It seemed like the perfect marriage of my interest and my, uh, the kind of music I liked, plus all the, you know, um, recording and mixing skills that I was developing. And at the time I was touring with a band actually as their live sound engineer, a front house engineer. So after college, I stuck with them for a little bit to see if it went anywhere and they didn't end up, you know, exploding or getting really big or anything like that. So in March of 2010, I decided to move out here to LA and sort of worked for a few different mixers and composers as their assistants when I first got here. And then in October of 2010, I was hired by Trevor Morris as his um, as his tech. So I was actually doing composer assistant style stuff. I was doing, you know, fixing his logic template and um, things like that. And, you know, dealing with his contact instruments and VEP and things like that. So I worked with them for about four and a half, four and a half years. Um, and then um, I went freelance in uh, April of 2015. So I've been independent uh, as an engineer ever since then. And uh, yeah, I just worked for a variety of different clients and um, mostly just doing score mixing, um, some re-recording mixing here and there as well. Sometimes I'll work on, um, you know, dubs for smaller things and some sound design here and there and things like that. But uh, yeah, that's sort of my brief, I guess, 20 year history or so. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I've interviewed like re-recording mixers and sound mixers and sound recorders and stuff. And a whole ton of composers. I think you're the first score mixer I've actually, like somebody who's specifically score mixing that I've actually interviewed out of everybody, which is oh, really cool. weird. Yeah, there's there's not many of us. It's it's really kind of a niche field. I mean, really, there's only probably 30, 40, maybe 50 between the U.S. and the U.K. who are doing, you know, the majority of, of work. I mean, because, you know, we only work on a project for a few days to maybe a week or two if it's a really big film. So, um, yeah, there's, there's really, there's not a lot of them. Wow, yeah. So um, just for people that, that haven't listened to this show before and maybe 
you don't quite understand what the job is. Do you want to just explain what score mixing is and and talk through the process of a typical score mixing project? Yeah, well, um, so we're basically kind of a combination of doing pre-dubs, essentially, for the film. So, you know, a re-recording mixer, whether they're dialogue or their sound effects, they'll do pre-dubs where they're sort of preparing all the elements ahead of time before the final dub <laughs> for either the dialogue or the sound effects. So in, in one fashion... We're kind of doing that process for the music where I'm taking each cue and I'm taking all the elements that were assembled, either, you know, live orchestra sometimes, sometimes live drums, sometimes guitars, and then all the elements that the composer had in their sequencers or in their, in their DIW, which is usually Cubase, Logic, Digital Performer, sometimes Pro Tools, but, you know, they have all their virtual instruments and things that they programmed when they were writing the piece of music. So I'm, I'm taking all those and then, you know, condensing them down into a, a set of stems and then also, you know, EQing and adding reverb and, you know, dynamic processing and things like that to make it sound better and to sit better in the film. Mm. Um, but it's a little bit beyond that because even though it's sort of like, we're also, the the mixes I end up with the music also have to stand on their own for soundtrack releases or something like that. Mm. Um, so they're a little bit more finalized, I suppose, than a, a sound effects or a dialogue pre-dub would be. But the other side of the coin too is then, yeah, if there are going to be elements recorded and I'm able to to do those recordings, like if they're going to record here in LA or if it's a really big budget film, sometimes they'll fly engineers out to London or, or wherever they're recording, then I would also be involved with recording orchestra and uh, any other elements that are going to be done. But, you know, these days, things are recorded all over. Sometimes the projects to record, or a lot of things record in uh, Eastern Europe now for orchestra uh, for budget reasons. So sometimes they're in Prague or Bratislava or kind of all over the place. And so, you know, nobody will fly over there and then they'll just send me Pro Tool sessions to mix um, within the, the cues for the film. But basically, I'm taking, you know, I'm not reinventing the wheel because the, the, the composer's really done a lot of work trying to, um, with the director and the producers, trying to get the music to serve the, the story and the picture as best that it can. So ultimately, you know, I don't want to change the wheel too much. I just mm-hmm. kind of want to give it that last 10, 15% of quality and of impact and really just make it sound better and more impactful and, and you know, bigger if necessary and things like that. And then also, usually composers typically only work in stereo, so often I'm mixing in 5.1 or 7.1 or now I'm starting to, you know, dabble into Dolby Atmos as well. Right, yeah. You've been through a ridiculous range of, of projects and looking through your sort of IMDB page because Tina was one of the things you did fairly recently the uh, HBO documentary but I mean there's like Cobra Kai Vikings Hellstrom Nosferatu Ozark which I think got you an Emmy nomination Nobel Ozark didn't it? Yes yeah I was in two Cinematic Society nominations Right yeah and then there's like The Outsider Fear the Walking Dead uh, American Gods Daredevil Defenders Iron Fist Penny Dreadful The Borgias Promising Young Woman. Uh, you've got a, a Thai horror film called uh, Ghost Lab quite recently, The Seventh Day, London Has Fallen, and you do the video games Call of Duty, Black Ops. I think you did 2 3 and Cold War as well. And uh, I noticed Morrowind, the expansion for Elder Scrolls Online, also was in there as well. So let's sort of pick out one of those projects. Like Tina, f- for instance, must have been quite an interesting thing for you to work on because you were li- mixing old life performances for that project so do you want to just talk a little bit about about how it was approaching that and dealing with that yeah Tina was really fun because originally I was just going to be mixing the score by Danny Saunders, uh, Danny Bensey and Sondra Jurians who are the composers of Ozark and they're one of my main clients now they're probably well over half if not more like 65 75% of my uh, of my work <laughs> so yeah originally they hired me to mix the score as usual I mix pretty much everything that they work on now um, and during that mix the I think it was the producers or maybe one of 
the directors contacted me and said, hey, like we have these multi-track recordings from three uh, Tina Turner performances that are going to be in the film. They, you know, the original just stereo audio that came from, I think they were actually both released on VHS or Laserdisc originally, and just the audio wasn't up to snuff, just, you know, putting it into a, a surround up mixer. So like, well, we need these things mixed with the re-recording mixer. Uh, he's not really a music specialist. He doesn't feel comfortable taking, you know, this big of a multi-track and doing like a music mix. This is not really a specialty. So like, well, you know, we need someone to mix these. Do you want to mix these songs too? And I was like, hell yeah, of course I do. That, would sound, that sounds amazing. So yeah, I also, you know, I got to be both the score mixer and the song mixer um, on that film, which was really, really fun. Yeah. And I mean, converting something like that into 5.1, although, I mean, you say you do that quite a lot. So I mean, I, my, my knowledge of that side of things isn't particularly great. So is, is that a big challenge, converting older things like that into, you know, more updated sound? A little bit, but not really because I had the full multi-track. So I had her vocal and all the drum mics and the guitars, bass. And then actually, um, both there were actually two concerts. So the beginning and the end of the film are from a Barcelona 1990 concert. Um, then in the middle, I mixed Can't Stand the Rain, which is from Rio in 1988. And both those concerts that I received multi-tracks from had a decent number of ambience mics too. So crowd mics that were placed uh, at front of house by the mixing console and then some on the stage. So that, that those really allowed me to sort of pan those audience mics around in the surround field to get this nice sort of surround audience sound. Um, and then, you know, most of the band mix was, everything was kind of in the um, front channels though. Some of the keyboards, I would use plugins to upmix them from stereo to sort of be all around you and surround. And then all of my reverbs for the most part were in surround. So that kind of is what fleshes out everything around you. Um, and given that I had so many elements, everything was as split out as it possibly could. Um, it really allowed me to do what I needed to, to get a nice big fat 5.1 mix for that. That's awesome. I mean, a great thing to be able to get hold of as well. Speaking of sort of things being quite split out, Call of Duty Cold War specifically, I actually interviewed Jack Wall about writing the music for that. One of the things is sort of main, oh, cool. the, yeah, one of the things the main title theme, which is, is a great piece of music, which is the sort of uh, Russian choir chanting thing, which is, is brilliant. It's a great piece of music. That was recorded during the pandemic, wasn't it? So rather than them all being together, it was like 30 plus separate singers. So how was that to put together? That was definitely an extra challenge. And I don't know if you've seen, I actually did a YouTube video uh, about my process of trying to get that all to work. Because normally we would have all those people in a studio together. So I'd have, I'd have room mics up, you know, in front of them to capture the ensemble as a whole. Um, and then additionally would also have some mics a little bit closer to them. But since everyone recorded at home, every singer just had one mic that was right up to their mouth that was super close and a totally different sound than you would get from, you know, as opposed to a choir that's sort of in an ensemble sort of situation. So I used, mostly it was it was using a convolution reverb first that I sent everybody into to just kind of put them in a room, make them sound like they were in a space. Then that boss basically kind of sounded similar to what I would get from a multi-track recording with room mics and things like that of an ensemble. And then I could kind of add the process I normally do. But it, it took a careful balance of finding the right convolution and the right amount of it and things like that so that it didn't sound weird, but it sounded that it was you know, spacious and like everyone was actually in a space together. Um, but I think in the end, it all it all worked out pretty well. Yeah, I mean, it's a great piece of work because you would never, ever know. I mean, it sounds fantastic. And uh, as, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful piece of music. I, I think you did a brilliant job with it. 
I mean, the other show that's running at the moment, Cobra Kai, what are you doing on that? And sort of, is do you just getting the cues and kind of uh, working through that? Or is there anything particular challenging with putting that together? I say, I mean, the main thing that's maybe a little bit challenging, but mostly just fun with Cobra Kai is that it's, it's a mishmash of a ton of different styles. Mm. I mean, you know, on one side, they have the sort of Bill Conti-esque, just traditional film scoring orchestra with some woodwinds and things like that. And then all the way over to some 80s hair metal music and some electronic <laughs> stuff. Um, and then I think they're getting into some kind of 90s rock stuff too, just because kind of throwback to the, the 80s vibe of the original Karate Kid. Yeah. Um, but that all of that is, that's actually a good example of a project where all I'm doing is mixing. Everything is recorded somewhere else. The orchestra is recorded in Prague for that. So the composers, um, Zach Robinson, Leo Bierenberg, are up all night because a 9 a.m. downbeat uh, recording session in, in Eastern Europe is midnight here. So they stay up all night over the internet um, listening and giving notes and producing the orchestra sessions. And then all of that is then sent to me uh, so I could download links for all the Pro Tools sessions in the orchestra. And then they also work with some musicians here in L.A. But just given the schedules and all of these musicians have their own studios and their own their own setups, um, they just record themselves. So there's um, a drummer and a guitar player that they work with and they're, just, they're great at recording themselves and they have a space. But then I'm also receiving those elements. And then finally, I'm also, like I said earlier, getting elements from Zach and Leo's sessions, so all the splits of the synthesizers and whatever percussion they might have programmed and things like that. Um, so yeah, when I started Cobra Kai episode, a lot of it is just organization. I spend a couple hours in the morning just getting things put in the right place, and you know I, I try to get it downloaded ahead of time, but then just getting every element for each queue kind of organized into one folder, so I have everything together, and then I can actually start assembling it and then and then mixing it together. But yeah, I mean part of that's part of the fun of that show is just that yeah, I, I mean some of the the cues in three ten the episode that um, has gotten some attention from last season, the very last episode. I mean, there's a big fight sequence at the end that's going back, and it's orchestra with rock guitars, with full drum kit, with a bunch of synthesizers, programmed percussion. I mean, it's sort of the whole kitchen sink thrown at it, so it was really, it was a challenge to get that all to work, but it was a lot of fun, really fun. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a wonderfully fun show, that, and uh, it's been doing brilliantly. I'm just so happy that Netflix kind of took that on, because it's just such a great series. So, do you have any particular genre of music that you prefer working with because I noticed sort of looking through the list you happen to have done a number of more horror kind of leaning stuff with things like The Outsider, Fear the Walking Dead, American Gods I guess to a certain extent, Penny Dreadful. Does it actually make that much of a difference to you in terms of what the genre is or is it just like you know good interesting fun music? Yeah it's really good interesting music and then I mean honestly the, the more experience I get the longer I've been here the best part of it is just finding good people to work with is what really is rewarding because no matter what you're working on, if you have good clients and good relationship with them and then fun musicians to work with and orchestrators and things like that, that really just makes it a much more pleasurable experience. But um, uh, that's another thing I really love about film scoring is that it really, it's sort of genre agnostic in a way. It kind of doesn't really care what, um, you know, the the music needs of of different films and television shows and video games kind of goes all over the map. With Cobra Kai being, you know, one good example of the genres kind of (laughs) touch on almost everything there. But I've mixed scores sometimes that are more folksy acoustic kind of country things, a lot of acoustic guitars and dobros and things like that. Um, I recently mixed uh, an upcoming Christmas film um, that's uh, a Scottish Christmas movie, so there's a lot of like whistles and more guitars there and some, some strings and things like that, and it just kind of goes all over the place, which is just fun, because I, I enjoy pretty much every genre of music. If it's done well with, with passion and uh, you know the composers and musicians are playing it well and, and love what they're doing, then uh, I'm down to work on anything. Yeah. In terms of the format going out, is there a difference for you 
you between sort of TV, film and games particularly? Because, I mean, TV and film, I maybe guess are similar. Games have other things going on as well because of the way things are looped and that sort of stuff. But it depends on which bit you're working on, I guess. Yeah, um, these days, uh, it honestly, for the most part, is kind of the same across all the you know, formats. Back in the day, TV music was kind of a different thing because, you, I mean, it was definitely only stereo at best because, you know, in the 70s, 80s, and before that, it was just this little mono crappy speaker and, and the CRT television was coming out. Um, so, you know, you would approach things a little bit differently because that was different. And then a lot of TV before the golden era of TV we're in now was kind of more sitcom-y, so there were short little cues and, you know, wasn't quite as cinematic. But with some of the TV shows we have coming out now, a lot of them actually, really the production style, the visual as- aspect of it, the storytelling, it's really much more cinematic. It's almost like a long series of films. Yeah. So the music production side has kind of adopted the same kind of techniques and the same kind of approach that we take with film. And now, you know, TV is all at least in 5.1. Um, if not, you know, a lot of Netflix stuff now is, is in Dolby Atmos. So I'm either doing a 7.1 mix of the score or hopefully soon I'm going to start doing a couple of uh, Atmos style things for um, um, for TV, for Netflix releases and things like that. Video games and is mostly the same. That, that as technology has progressed, video games have become much more of a rich storytelling format. So they yeah. also have taken a much more cinematic approach to the music, um, but they do still have limitations with data, with the number of stems they because of the music that is playing in the background while you're actually playing the game. I split that out into a lot of uh, elements that we call stems mm-hmm. um, because they need to be able to, you know, program the stems to sort of take a piece of music and extend it as long as it needs to be if you're, you know, just staying in one area as the player. And then once you move to a new area or a threat comes in, there's different, you know, live automation basically happening in the game engine to change the music based on what the player is doing and what they're experiencing. Um, so given that, I'm usually limited to just mixing stereo for in-game music just because it becomes a lot of data. But I mean, as hard drives get bigger and the internet becomes faster, I think, you know, there's some games now where they're okay with me doing quad, which at least gives a, a surround mix for the, for the game. And then like the last Call of Duty game that I worked on, I did mix the um, all the cutscenes are mixed in 5.1 minus, they didn't want anything in the center channel, so it's kind of like a 4.1 mix. Yeah. Um, but since that's just a single event and the music is just going to be back once they were okay with that and that really helped enhance those you know little mini movies basically in the game but that's really the, the main difference you know the the big difference for video games really is on the composer side because they're having to deal with music that's going to be programmed uh, in the game engine to sort of loop in certain ways and you know trigger different events when things happen and all that kind of stuff yeah yeah I always think it must be really funny when you when you're a composer and you go back play a game and like hear the music put together and it's kind of looping and the game engine is kind of resyncing it in different ways that must be really odd for the person that wrote it to kind of go back and experience it in that way yeah they're not very i mean there's some composers that have been doing video games now they don't have a big history with that that yeah sometimes they're caught off guard um <laughs> but i know like jack for example um i mean he's been involved with music programming games for a long time a lot of the games he worked on i think he also did all of the programming so he's an old school veteran of, of yeah. video game scoring um so he's very much aware of how things are going to work in the programming side but yeah it kind of runs the gamut of of what the composers know as far as what the the in-game audio engine is doing. 
Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to let you uh, get back to your day. Two last questions for you. First question is, what TV shows are you watching at the moment? Uh, the last thing I really loved was Mayor of Easttown on HBO. I thought yeah. that was a phenomenal uh, show and a good mix and also really uh, interesting score. I really enjoyed the music. That's the main one that comes to mind. I've been so busy recently. I haven't <laughs> been watching as much TV as usual. <laughs> so yeah, I would say Mayor of Easttown is the big one that I'm into right now. Yeah, good choice. Good choice. And if you had the the opportunity to work on any TV show it can be something from the past, it can be something present, or some sort of future genre. What show would it be? I was always a huge fan of Battlestar Galactica, yeah, and I love science fiction. Anytime I get a chance, I mean, I haven't unfortunately worked on a lot of science fiction, but that's probably my favorite genre. I was a huge Star Wars fan as a kid, and uh, all sorts of. And I used to watch, you know, nerdy, techie, futuristic Discovery Channel shows back in the day and stuff like that. So yeah, probably a show like that or, or a Star Trek would be really fun to work on um, yeah I'd say some science fiction show um, or Firefly I, I was a huge fan of yeah. I'm totally in support of Firefly season 2 maybe happening someday I doubt it will but we'll yeah. see uh, yeah so something along those lines would be fun I'm very much with you on that I would love to see that show awesome well I hope you get a chance to work on some uh, sci-fi there's enough things being made for like a million different streaming services at this point I'm sure one will come your way at some point yeah something big will happen I'm sure <laughs> I will let you get back to your Day. Thank you for spending a little bit of time to chat with me. It's been lovely, and uh, hopefully we'll talk again in the future at some point. Yeah, absolutely. This was fun. Have a great day. You too. Talk to you soon. Cheers. Bye. Bye-bye. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. 